Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it. But it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. No, what I did, I went to Arabia and then I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and I remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I don't lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. And then after 14 years, our passage today, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. And I also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something, they added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles, And when James and Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace, the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I was also eager to do. Father, here we have before us these 10 verses that we pray that you will take and not just fill and occupy the time that we are sitting here together, learning together, simply to put a mark on our Bible cover that says, hey, I went to church today. But Lord, that we would open up our hearts, we'd open up our minds, we'd, we'd allow you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to, to reach down deep into our heart and change those areas that need to be changed, adjust those areas that need to be adjusted, completely and totally take out and rebuild, and, or as David would say, create within me a new heart. And David was saying, I don't even want you to take the existing materials that I have in my heart. The word that he uses, create, is the same word. You know God in Genesis 1 where he says, create out of non-existing materials. Don't use my old heart to give me a new one. Create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me, David said. Take my old heart out and put a heart that comes from non-existing materials that only you can put together, Lord. And then you insert it back into my chest. You insert it back into my life. Lord, let that be our prayer today. That, Father, if we need to have a clean heart, God, you'd rip out the old and you'd put in a new. And that we would allow you to do it. We'd allow you to make the changes in our life. Today, we're like a a vehicle going into the dealership. And, and Lord, you're plugging us into a a, a machine and you're you're checking our our systems. You're checking our, our life. Those areas that might show a red flag, they might show an error code. Lord, fix them for us. Help us, Lord, to walk out of here knowing you better than we did when we walked in. Help us to walk out of here loving you more and living for you more than we did when we walked in. That's our earnest prayer. At least I hope. I hope for everyone here that that's our prayer. And if not, Lord, you do a work in their heart. Lord, if there's somebody here that is is not wanting to hear from you at all, they're here because maybe they've been brought. 
They're here maybe because they were forced. They're here because, well, they're expected to be here. But they really don't want to hear from you today. Lord, make their life miserable right now. That they would recognize the misery that's going on in their life right here and open up their heart and say, Lord, you know what? Whatever needs to be done in order for me to see you high and lifted up, may it be. Because, God, that's our prayer. We will have wasted time if we have not changed today, if we have not been motivated by your Holy Spirit to do something in our hearts. May you take control of the service now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You might be looking at this and going, man, what are we going to learn today? I mean, here Paul is talking about kind of just a part of his testimony. It's part of his, his chronology. It's part of his, his life, the things that, that he went through. I kind of appreciate what we've read here today because if we didn't have this, we, we'd have some gaps in Paul's life. What did you do, Paul, after Damascus? What, when you were, you remember where it all started, Paul on his way to Damascus, up into Syria, out of Jerusalem, quite a distance away. He was a Sanhedrin. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious ruler. He was a religious zealot for Judaism. And he hated that these Christians were saying that God became a man and died on a cross. How dare you ever say that the God that I serve would ever make himself of no reputation? That the God that I serve would ever become so weak that he would succumb to the hands of the mankind that he created? That's just preposterous. I mean, and if you really think about it, you understand Paul's passion for going out and knocking out the Christians. Can you imagine if somebody, if you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for any amount of time, if somebody really came down against Jesus right now and, and started talking about Jesus isn't the only way, we, man, we, the hairs go up on our back. Our fangs come out. The old talons come out. Man, I'm ready to duke it out with somebody who says that Jesus wasn't the one who died on a cross and rose again three days later. I'm not excusing the religious Jews' practices and the things that they did, but for the sake of understanding the passion in which they went about doing what they did, especially a man by the name of Paul or Saul. The name wasn't Paul at the time, was it? And so Saul is going out there trying to destroy. He's trying to squash what he thinks is heresy and blasphemy. And he's doing it with passion. And he's on the way up to Damascus to do it and to continue on killing people, ripping families apart simply because he can't stand this Jesus And what these people were saying about Jesus. But you remember it was on the way to Damascus. He was probably pretty close to Damascus. He got knocked off his high horse there onto the ground. And he was blinded by this light. And as he hears this voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, that you're saying such a thing, you know? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? We've talked about that. We don't need to go back into that story, but this is that beginning of Paul's capturing of his heart by God. You've heard me say it before. I don't see God rebuking Paul in the midst of all of this. Know this. Paul had been there. He was the authority authority on the day that Stephen died. What we have recorded is the first martyr of all of, of the Christian church, Stephen. Here he cut his life short. At the feet of Saul. They all laid their their coats down at the feet of of Saul. He was the one, and the inference is, is if we lay our, our coats down, you're the one that's giving the approval. You're the one that's allowing us to go ahead and to stone this heretical blasphemer, Stephen. And you remember, we've talked about this, how that picture, that moment where Paul watched Stephen and listened to Stephen... Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. Forgive this trespass, Lord. Hey, guys, 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 I see heaven opened up and the right and, and, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father, which just made them even all the more furious. And they began to just cast these stones. Boom, boom, boom. Underneath the weight of... And the brutality of the stones there in Jerusalem, or there in, in, in Jerusalem, he, he dies. But that indelible mark would never leave Paul. He would reference it many times in the book of Acts. And, and, and the thing is, is that when he was on the road to Damascus to, to do even more damage to the church, he'd already done this to Stephen, and he'd already done it in many other, the, the inference in scriptures infers that he's done this a lot. 
And now he's going to Damascus. He's going into another country to go and take them out. As if he's already rid the, the church in Jerusalem of these heretics, these Christians. I'm going to go to Damascus because I hear that there's a cell up there. A cell of Christians, you know. And, and he's on his way up there and that's where God captures Paul's heart, Saul's heart, before he became Paul and captured his heart and he began to see Jesus for who he was, which then takes his mind back to Stephen, an indelible imprint. The name Stephen in the Greek is Stephanos. Stephanos literally means crown, a Stephanos crown, a crown by martyrdom. And for the rest of Paul's life, he would remember Stephen. But on the road to Damascus, when he was knocked off the horse and Jesus began to speak to him at that time, he didn't rebuke him. He didn't get mad at him. You know, you low down, dirty criminal, you, Saul, you killed one of my champions. You killed Stephen. How dare you? He didn't do any of that. He said, I've got a job for you to do. First, in order for you to understand that this is really me doing this to you and and for you to really get the impact of what's going on, I'm going to have you go into Damascus, into a street called Straight. There's a little house. I want you to go in there and you're going to hang out there for three days and you're going to be blind. I'll send somebody to you when I'm ready for you. And so he sends Ananias. Ananias freaks out a little bit. Wait, you know what I mean? Go to, you Saul, you're saying? Ananias. Yes, Lord. I have a job for you. Oh, Lord, thank you. This is great. You know, well, I want you to leave where you are right now. I want you to go to Damascus. There's a little house on a street called Straight. And in this particular house, there's a fellow there by the name of Saul. I, and he's blinded right now. And, and, and I want you to go there and I want you to pray over him that he would receive his sight. Well, Lord, I said anything, but you say his name is Saul. Is it the same Saul that I'm thinking of? Oh, yeah. Can, can I remind you, Lord, that he's a mean guy? He's a guy that's killed a lot of us. I mean, is that what you're wanting to kill me too or what? Nevertheless, he went and he did it. And Saul regained his sight. That's what Paul's saying right here in this, in this passage. He's saying, when I, when I came to the Lord, I was there in Damascus. I didn't immediately go, wow, I'm 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 saved. I need to go to Jerusalem. I need to go and see. Uh, I need to go and see. Um, I've got to go and, 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 and talk to the apostles. I've got to go see Peter and James and John. I don't even know their names, but I've got to go see those guys. I think that there's a leadership group. I need to go and talk to those guys and find out what's up. No. He says, no, I, I didn't do any of that. I didn't go into to Jerusalem. I hung out there in Arabia for three years, I went into the desert for three years. You know what I believe he was doing in the desert for three years? He was being reprogrammed. That's my own personal view. I, I, there's a lot of people that do believe the same thing that I believe. Uh, but I really believe that Paul, he had learned from a young child. Remember, he was from Tarsus, which was up in Asia Minor. And he learned at the feet of a Pharisee called Gamaliel. He was his mentor. Gamaliel is a Pharisee of Pharisees. He is a, a teacher. He's like, you know, think of the, 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 one of the greatest teachers, Einstein, okay? Or, uh, what? Pope? The Pope? Nah, I don't want to use the Pope. We're going to talk about the Pope here in a second. <laughs> but, it, 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 but think of a, of a great teacher that we think of. And we think of somebody that we'll, we'll look back on. When, when you hear someone go, that guy's like an Einstein. What do you think that that person's saying about that? Huh? He's smart, right? He's smart. Think about that. That's what they think about when they think of Gamaliel. In fact, historically, Jewish history says he was the last true Pharisee, Gamaliel. And this was the mentor of Saul. Now, Saul had to travel as a young boy away from his home. He's a Jew living in a different land, Asia Minor, Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus. And his mom and dad loved him so much and wanted him to be such a great Jewish boy that they shipped him off into Jerusalem to study there in the school, the Jerusalem school, and be mentored by... There you go, Gamaliel. And so Gamaliel became his mentor. You, you couldn't have had a better teacher for Saul if you were a Jew. I'm sure there was many people that were very jealous of, of Paul, or of Saul, excuse me. 
because of, of the relationship maybe that he had with Gamaliel. But he grew up under Gamaliel as his mentor. And he learned the traditions of the fathers. You remember what Jesus said to the, to the religious rulers? He says, you search the scriptures for in them you guys think you found life. But I'm telling you that they speak of me. You're missing the intent of the word of God. It speaks of me. You don't take the word of God and live by it. What you do is that you live by the traditions of your fathers. For you take the traditions of your fathers and you teach them to these guys like Saul as if they were doctrines of God. You take all of these, these teachings that are handed down from you know one generation to another and they write them down in this book and you teach that book as if it's the Bible. If, if it's God's word and you've got it all wrong. You've got a lot of falling heads teaching falling heads and they're creating doctrine out of it. And you're bypassing the word of God or you're taking the traditions of man and you're ripping the heart out of the word of God, out of God's word in order to make it fit the traditions of man. And then you're teaching it to your little disciples. And Jesus says you're making them twice as much of a son of hell as you yourself are. Jesus didn't mince words, did he? Saul is that guy that Jesus is talking about. He's like that kid. You're making Saul twice as much of a son of hell as you yourself are. But he captures Paul's heart. And Paul's eyes are finally opened on that day when Ananias comes in and prays for brother Paul and he receives his sight like scales fell off his eyes. And I'm sure on that day a scale fell off his heart. Some callousness that had built up over there over the years had fallen off and his ears were open and his eyes were open and his heart was open and he didn't understand what to do with all of this new information. You see, a Jew even to this day has a struggle in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, let me read it to you real quick. This is a great passage that you probably would want to look up sometime and, and look at it for yourself talking it Isaiah 53 says this one has no former comeliness and when we see him there's no beauty talking about a messiah that we should desire him he's despised and he's rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And I, I don't want to read the whole passage, but here's the thing. A Jew has a problem with this. Because you ask a Jew, what does this passage mean? Who is, the, who is this, this being spoken of? And many will say, well, this is actually speaking of the nation of Israel. You go, wait, that doesn't make any sense. It says a man. I, I know. Nowhere in all of Scripture is Israel even mentioned as a man. If anything, it was mentioned as a bride or as a woman. And all of a sudden you change it. Why? Because you can't make it fit. Now here's the thing. Paul struggled with this passage. I truly believe that Paul would struggle with a passage like this. Why are you saying all this stuff, Pastor Don? What, what does this mean? Well, let's bring some history into Paul so you understand Paul's heart. These are the kinds of passages that would cause Paul to struggle. And for three years, he didn't go down to Jerusalem to seek out Peter, James, and John to ask them, hey, what does this Isaiah 53 passage mean? He doesn't do that. But he went into the desert. And there he was taught by the Lord. Oh, you see it right here. He says in this passage,
passage here, he says that, that it's through revelation that uh, in verse 2 of, of, well, let me back up into verse uh, 1 of chapter 2. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and I took a Titus with me. I went up by revelation. Jesus had been revealing to Saul who he was, what he was, and what his plan was for his life. Oh, it's, he opens up the whole book of Galatians by that. He says, my name's Paul. I am an apostle. But it's not from the guys down in Jerusalem. It's not from men nor through men, but it's through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Jesus is the one who's appointed me. Jesus is the one that reveals himself to me. Jesus went and he, it, was, it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb in order to reveal God's son in me that I might preach Jesus among the Gentiles. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I didn't go to the apostles before me. I went to, into Arabia for three years and then I returned back into Jerusalem. And then after three years, after that three-year period, I then went to, to see Peter for 15 days. But after I spent a little bit of time with Peter, I took off and I began to minister. And I began to, I began to live my life for the Lord. But I began to let God's word work its way through the woof and the wharf of my life in order to understand everything that I had been taught is now making sense today. There was a, a time back when I was um, in Bible college, I went to Jerusalem, or I went to Israel, I'm sorry, Israel, on a, on a trip, a class trip, if you will. I was there, I think, for 15 days or something like that. And as we were there and we were spending time there, um, uh, I kind of went through, there was a little bit of a downtime in my heart, you know, that something, I was kind of going through something that was going on there. And, and, uh, Yes, it had to do with a girl. Stupid things, you know, relationships, you know, stupid, stupid. And but here's the thing, um, I'm all down, you know. I'm in Jerusalem. I'm in Israel, and I'm down. Thinking, my goodness, this is an awesome place to be, and I had an awesome time. It just so happened to be that this girl that I liked a lot was on the same trip of 24 people. <laughs> so it's not a big trip. Has down. My roommate started kind of hitting on this girl. She started spending time with him, and I was down. There's a little bit of personal regurgitation right there. <laughs> now, kids, you're not going to understand a word I'm saying right now. I went to the store and bought a Walkman. What's that, Daddy? <laughs> um, but I didn't have anything to play on it. And they don't really have, you know, the radio stations aren't real great. In, in, and I don't understand Hebrew. So I started asking around for somebody if they have any tapes that I could borrow. And, and there's a girl by the name, I just remembered her name right now. Her name is Kate. Kate, she goes, oh, yeah, you can borrow this tape. And so I took it, and it was an instrumental and I sat there and I listened to this and I listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and listened to it. And I, I knew that over and over and over and over again. I listened to it. And it was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And, and I, I just listened to it over. And I, I said it was instrumental. No, this is backwards. It's not, it wasn't instrumental. It had all the words to it and everything. And there was a song in there that really meant a lot to me. And it was awesome. It was about Jesus going to Gethsemane. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> he was going to save the world. I'm bummed because a girl turned me down, you know. <laughs> to the point of death, really. Come on. Come on. There's a passage in that, in that song. It's a long, the chorus is, it's a long, hard road that you've put me on. But I choose to die for those that you've given me. Not my will, but yours be done. And it was, it was a a time in my life where that song has, has an anchor in my soul. 
it's a stake in my life that I always have looked back on and said, no matter what I go through in life, no matter what happens in my life, good, bad, or indifferent, there is a call in my life that God has placed in my life. And, I, and though everybody turn away, I will not turn away. Though everything turns sour in my life, I can't turn away. It, is, it may be a long, hard road. But you know what? I'm going to choose to die to my life. I'm going to choose to do this to serve you. I want to follow you. I don't always do the best at it, and I fail just like we all do. But here's the thing. I come back to that stake in the ground. Lord, it's you. You have a plan for my life. You are, you are the reason for my life. But as I listened to that tape over and over and over again, I ended up getting home, and, and then I, I found this instrumental that was the exact same thing. And it was just like this, this absolute filling, just... I, you know, it was amazing. It was just, and, and I'm probably not even explaining it good enough to you, but I want you to know that I went through all of Bible college after that and into my teaching and into my assistant pastoring and even over to here listening to that instrumental because I didn't have to hear the words anymore because I knew what they meant. But that instrumental would go on. And as I studied the Bible, I've listened to that I don't know how many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of times, that tape going over and over and over. I got it on my phone right now. I don't have the words. It's just all instrumental. It meant so much to me. It, it, it kind of backed that up a little bit. Paul has learned the Bible in such a way. I moved it all the way and I still hit it. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you guys over here. <laughs> I'm talk to you guys over here. You guys need this. Listen. <laughs> Paul, he learned the word of God one way, right? He knew it well. He memorized it. He had it memorized. And as he went into Arabia, God had to reprogram his brain. I didn't understand Isaiah 53. But Jesus, you're the one that it's, you are the one that it's talking about. You're the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It totally fits. By your stripes were healed. You were, yes. All we like sheep have gone astray. Yes. And the Lord laid on you the iniquity of us all. It makes sense. It just makes sense. I struggled. And now it makes it. It pleased the Father to bruise you. I don't understand. Until I understand you in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Father, take this cup from me, Jesus, you said. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus is saying, God, your will be done. Your will be done. Even if it means that my life is going to be tortured to death, your will be done. Jesus accepted that that path in his life. And it pleased the Father to bruise his son. Why? Why would it ever please God? Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out to his father. I think of my son in a time of agony where I have the complete and total ability to save my son from the pain that he's enduring, from anything that he's going through, and my son crying out saying, Dad, Dad, help me. And I turn my back on my son. I I, I can't fathom it. Personalize this thing on the cross. Personalize the cross, guys. To understand the magnitude of God turning his back on his son and, and coupling it with Isaiah 53. It pleased God to do that. What in the world are we talking about? It was the only way for God to, to reach you on this day. It was the only way for God to reach you and me that we can be sitting in here and listening to a message about that day And because of that day, we have life now. We have life because God had a plan. His will is that, Peter says it, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to mankind. God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Is it making sense? God loves you, God loves me, that he was willing to sacrifice his own son and turn his back on his son. Paul's looking at this and going, this is mind blown. 
I never understood. And now it all makes perfect sense. It's like Tetris. You turned it correctly and it fit in the perfect hole. Wow. And it took Paul three years for all the little Tetris pieces to fit. Now it it still would take time. And so Paul... He, he, he deals with that. He ends up going back in, trying to minister a little bit, ends up getting in some pretty heat, big heat there in Damascus. Ends up having to be getting let down out of a window, out of the wall. He doesn't even go through the gate of the city. He actually has to be let down out of a window, little hoist system to get out of the city with his life because Saul has turned into Paul. Arrogant. I... I take that back. I don't know that Paul was arrogant. I don't think Paul was arrogant. That was a silly word for me to use. I think Paul was passionate, and I think that Paul was genuine. Even in his passionate life for Judaism. And God took that passion, and he took that drive that was in Paul, and said, you know what? I know you want to please me, and I'm going to show you the way. That gives me so much comfort in the Lord, by the way. There's so many people that go, man, I don't believe in the gifts. I don't like the gifts of the Spirit. I would never speak in tongues because you know what? You start speaking in tongues and here's what's going to happen. That devil will get in and he'll start speaking some things through you. I'll tell you. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. You know, here's the thing. You open your heart to the Lord. And if, you know, I don't know what your views are on that, but I, I believe in all the gifts of the Spirit still available today. And here, here's the thing. If I'm asking the Lord for a gift, is is God going to give me something that's evil? Every gift that God gives to to us is is under our control so that things can be done decently and in order. But can I just be used to the Lord? Lord, can you work through me? Can you just speak through me? Can 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 you just have free reign in my life? You better be careful because if you do that, you're opening up the spiritual realm and I'm thinking, stop it. There is no enemy. There is no Satan. There is no demon that is stronger than my Lord. And when I open up my heart to the Lord, I'm going, there's nobody that's going to go in there and and overpower Jesus. It can't happen. I want all the things that the Lord has for me. I pray you too. And, and, And so here's the thing. Jesus begins to speak with Paul. He begins to transform him and, and change him. And he goes and he begins to work in some of these cities. He's, he says there, you know, um, in verse uh, of, of chapter 1, um, verse 21, Afterward I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which are in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. They saw the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in a life. Here's a guy that was a murderer. Here's a guy that was rooting us out and killing the Christians and breaking up families. And it's amazing that Jesus is so powerful. Even his death and resurrection by the power of his Holy Spirit, he's transforming the life of one of the biggest, biggest antagonizers against the church. Not only has he changed him, but he has given him a voice to preach to people and to minister to the people he used to persecute. What an amazing God we serve. And then Paul said, but, but it doesn't end there. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem and with Barnabas. I also took Titus with me. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in here, but because I just want you to understand, listen, it took Paul, my message today is this. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. God has a plan for you. God is preparing you for the next step in your Christian life. It could be right now, and I believe every single one of us, if you're really open to hear what the Lord's saying, you can be being spoken to right now by the Holy Spirit. I believe that God wants to speak to you as he wants to speak to me and speak through me. I believe that he wants to challenge us. I think that he wants to educate us. I think he wants to equip us. I think he wants to empower us to go out there and live a life for him. 
But it's this world out here that's very, very powerful to us. I know it is for me. That really trips me up a lot. But man, I'll tell you, if I'm open, God's going to, he's going to do a work in my life and it's going to be a process. It's called sanctification. Sanctification doesn't just happen immediately. It's, a, it's an ongoing process where, where God is, is working and transforming your life to make you into that man or that woman or that child that God wants you to become. And we are the one that gets in the way. Sometimes we so give way too much credit to the enemy. Oh, the devil made me do it. You remember old Flip Wilson? Again, kids, you don't even know that name. Devil made me do it. No. Oftentimes, it's just our stinking flesh that just gets in the way, right? I know it's mine. Maybe for you, it's just the demons and, the, you know, Satan, but it's my flesh. And the world gets in the way. But the situation is we give way too much credit to the enemy when we have the full culpability in it, when we succumb to the things of the world. And here's the thing. Jesus is just wanting to equip you. I'm not saying us now. I'm saying you. I don't know who's listening to this. If you're listening to this, you're still with me. Hang in there for just a couple of more minutes. Here's the thing. God's trying to do a work in you like he did with Saul. Oh, but I'm too old. Moses was 80 years old. Are you too old? Joshua and Caleb were even older than that. And they were still out there swinging a, swinging a sword. Oh, but I'm old. I think one of the worst things I... One of the, I won't say worse, because there's a lot of worse things than this, but uh, one of the saddest things, I remember a, a long time ago, a long time ago, in this church, they don't go here anymore, there was a couple in the church that, that we approached them and we said, hey, we got some needs in the, in the children's ministry, and, and what do you think? And, and they were so equipped, they were... I still love them to this day. I'm not going to mention any names or anything like that. But I said, what do you think? And their kids were old, and, and they were out of the house at that time. And they said, ah, been there, done that, bought the shirt. I did, I did that already. Uh, I'm not, I'll never do that again. I don't have to do that again. I'll do something different. I don't, I don't mean to come down on somebody when they say something like that, but, but here's the thing. It's not me, but that sounds like somebody who's really closed off to, to not allowing the Holy Spirit to do anything in their life unless it fits into their, their mojo. If it's something that, that fits with them and, and their scheme and, and, and their plan. But that they said, no, I had my kids already. I don't need to do that anymore and I won't do that anymore. Been there, done that, bought the shirt. I'm just going, wow, how many Christians, how about myself? How often do I say that? My own life. Ah, been there, done that, bought the shirt. Instead of, Lord, there's a need. My life isn't mine anymore. At least I say that all the time. And, and, And Lord, if I really say it, do I actually believe it? Because if my life isn't mine anymore and you present me with an open door, I think I should walk through it. And I'm sure that you're big enough to close the door if you don't want me to walk through it. And, and so here's the thing. I'm going to, I see a need, I'm going to go down that road. You see, maybe this isn't maybe a direction that I really enjoy. But here's the thing. It's not about my enjoyment. It's about you. It's, a, it's about you. But, but here in the midst of it, here's what I can do. I can present to people who you are, whether they be kids, whether they be old, whether it be you know, somebody on the street, maybe, maybe it's you know, whatever, whatever the need is, Lord, I'm your man, I'm your woman. I'm like Isaiah, who says, uh, he hears the Lord having a conversation with himself. Who shall we send? Who will go for us? And And... And Isaiah's going, what are you, nuts? It's me. No, he didn't say that to the Lord. <laughs> that would just be counterproductive, right? Uh, no, he would never say, Lord, you're nuts. He would never say that. But he's, he's like, oh, Horseshack. Sorry, kids. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. 
Oh, oh, here I am. Send me. <laughs> right? That's, that's Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. Who will go for us? All right. You want to go? All right, go to the people. They're going to reject you, by the way. But go and tell them, you're going to hear, but you're not going to understand. You're going to see, but you won't perceive. Okay. I'll do it. Because you've called me to. See, something radically changes in our life when we say, Lord, whatever. I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'm your child. Something radically changes when you say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. You see, the leaders that we see in Scripture are, are people who maybe not necessarily did, desired to go down a road, but they went anyways. David was tending to the flocks out there in the, in the field when God called him. King Saul, the very first king in Israel, he was actually started out really, really well. He was very humble. And when he was chosen, do you know what he did on his inauguration day? He hid. He's going, I don't want this. Uh, there's no way that I'm even qualified for this position. Who would ever contact the, the least of all the tribes? And me being least in all of the... No, what, what, I, I'm not the guy. I shouldn't be the guy. Moses, go into Israel, go back into Egypt and tell him to let my people go. Oh Lord, who am I? Send someone else. I don't have a good. I can't speak real well. I can't do it, Lord. I don't. I don't speak real good. Send someone else. No, I'm sending you. Oh, but Lord, uh, Lord says Moses, who made man's mouth? Did I? I, I did, right? Who is able to equip you to do what it is that I'm called you to do? Go back into Exodus chapter 3. You'll see that Moses has a dialogue with the Lord where he's trying to get out of the call. But he does. He finally goes. He made an agreement with the Lord. It wasn't the right... I, don't, I, I think that it became a stumbling block later on in his life, but... God says, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet you here halfway. Your brother Aaron's just coming over the hill. You see him? You can speak to him and he'll tell the Pharaoh what to say. You see, the thing is, is that the Lord will meet us where we need to be met. The point is, is that God is equipping you every single day of your life. Every single day of your life, every time you sit in a message like this, every time you crack open the word of God, every single time you pray, every single time you read something about the Lord, every single time you, you turn on that Bible on your phone or, or, or at home and you listen to it, every single time you, you, you pull up a, a message off of the internet and you're listening, God is moving in your life and he's transforming in you the man or the woman that he's wanting you to be, don't become a couch potato. Don't become fat, dumb, and happy and just stay there. We don't ever retire. The day we retire is the day that they're, they're burying us six feet under. That's the day we retire. The day we retire is the day that our, our eyes, they close. And when that death do lies cold upon my brow. If ever I loved you, tis Jesus, it's now. The day that our eyes close for the last time, we then can honestly say, we're retired. But until then, we're not retired. I love Pastor Chuck. Man, he taught on a Wednesday and died on a Thursday. I think it was a Thursday. If it wasn't a Thursday, it was the next day after. But he taught from the pulpit with oxygen. And he's talking. And he's presenting the Lord. And, and he's, I'm not retiring. The Lord can make me retire when it's time to retire. And he died. Like a day or two after he got out of the pulpit. I've heard of pastors that die in the pulpit. 
what a great place to die, right? I mean, if, if I keel over and, and code here, do your best to bring me back, okay, at first. <laughs> but if not, rejoice that, man, this is the place that I died. There's no better place to die than a pulpit. Unless you're saying something wrong and you get zapped or something like that. Then, then you don't want that. But <laughs> you understand. Guys, God is preparing you to do something. He's preparing you to do something. It took Paul 14 years. Some say 17 years because he spent three years in the wilderness. And then after 14 years, there are many that look at this when he says after 14 years that actually that was from the time that he uh, got saved. So it's somewhere between, you know, uh, 14 years or 17 years that Paul was now finally completely and totally equipped to, to, to be Saul or to be Paul, to do the ministry that God called him to do. So God can be working in you. But don't take so much comfort in that to go, oh, good, good. You've given me an out because maybe God's just not done with me, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Stop it. Don't not open your mouth. Simply Because look at Paul. Paul says, listen, afterward, after I was in the desert, I went into Syria and Cilicia. I went into these places and I ministered to these places. He continued to teach. He continued to minister to people. He continued to reach out to people. But God was transforming him and making him into the man that he could be that could be used. And God is working in you to become the man or the woman. And I don't know where you are on that road. God knows. I don't even think you know. I don't think we really even know where we are on that road. But here's here's what we can know is that when God opens a door and we see that it's an open door. I'm going to say it's at that time that God has equipped you enough to walk through the door. Amen? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? If God opens up a door and He's and He it's blatantly open for you, I think He's equipped you enough, He's empowered you enough to take a step through that door. Oh, but that's a scary door. That means I have to open my mouth or that means that I have to go and reach out to that person who's lonely or that means that I have to reach out to that shut-in or that means that I have to go and, and talk to that person who has lost this person or is going through this incredible trial or this person that doesn't know the Lord. You know, I, I've got to go and talk to them. Yes, it's an open door. Walk through it. Let's get used to walking through doors because you know what? Here's the thing. God has equipped you. He's empowered you Don McClure had a, a little thing on his desk. I was trying to remember it right there. He had a little plaque on his desk. And, and I hope I'm saying it correctly. I think it says, without God, I can't. Without me, he won't. There's probably a little heresy in that. Okay? <laughs> because God will do anything. If God's wanting to reach this person and you refuse to, to reach that person for the Lord, even though God continues to place that person on your heart, you know what? God's going to reach them through someone else, but you just missed out. You've missed out. I've missed out on God's best. But I don't know enough. Paul didn't have to go and study under Professor Pete, James, and John. He didn't have to go and study under these guys. He didn't have to go and get a degree from these guys. These are guys that hung out with Jesus for three years, three and a half years. So they're, they, they are the professors. They're the ones that got the first school. That uh, He says, I didn't have to do that. Jesus was my instructor. I would love it if we would get back to this place where we would understand that Jesus is the greatest instructor that's out there. I just wrote to my friend Tim... Romero, his dad passed away a couple of weeks ago and he was out in in, in Montana doing Tim Sr.'s uh, memorial service yesterday. And I, I had texted him right before service here. There's I've got eight or nine pastors that are on a text board that we encourage each other every week. And and I, I just wrote to Tim because other people had been talking to Tim, you know, and I've been talking to Tim, but said, Timbo, I've been praying for you and your fam through this tough time. Loved 
Tim Sr. If you think about it, it, it kind of hit me as I was back there. I'm sorry, Kevin, I wasn't listening to your announcements. If you think about it, today, Tim Sr. is sitting in a pretty awesome congregation today at the feet of the great teacher, Lord, Savior, God, and friend. One day, fellas, we're going to be there too. Can't wait to sit in that congregation. You know, here's the thing. It's what we're living for. But I don't know enough. You know enough to walk through the door that God opens for you. But what if I don't know what to say? You know enough to walk through the door that God opens for you. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's take a step through these through these doors that are open. I'm not telling you to go and push on doors that are closed. Don't do that. I think God has called me to go and 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 rent Van Weasel and 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 have a, a night where I'm going to go and preach to the whole of Sarasota. I, I don't, maybe God is calling you to do that, but maybe not. Maybe He just wants you to just open up the door and talk to your neighbor, uh, talk to your coworker, talk to your family member, or whatever. I mean, who, what door has God opened for you? My challenge to you, and every single one of us, it's completely different. This is the cool thing about us and about how God works with us, not any of us have the same exact open doors. You have open doors in front of you today. It really comes down to, are you willing to walk through those doors? I promise this, if we walk through the doors that God's open for us, you will never lack for excitement. It's going to be tough sometimes. But I'd rather be in a tough time with the Lord than in an easy time without Him. Right? I said I was going to say something about the Pope, and I'm going to say it real quick, and, and then we'll be done. Um, I, I just there's one thing that as we move through this, you know, Paul didn't he wasn't a respecter of men. And let me just finish with this. He didn't have to go. He looked at Paul. He looked at Peter. He looked at or, or, Peter, James, and John. He didn't esteem them on such a high, elevated plane. But but he didn't diss them either. I mean, he's not dissing them in here. He's not putting them down. He's going, hey, they may have seemed to be something, but to me, they, they're just guys. They're just men. Be careful of putting anybody on a pedestal. I don't care. You could be the greatest pastor out there. Listen, I promise you, he'll let you down. I promise you. Mark my words, he will let you down. He'll say something. He'll do something. He'll say something in a message someday that you're going to go, why did he say that? He shouldn't have said that. And, and you're going to be let down. And if you have placed that person on such a high pedestal, you're going to be dashed. So keep your eyes off of man and put your eyes on Jesus Christ because he's the one that will not let you down. Okay? So, so, here, so that's why Paul was saying that. But he, he says here, when I went up and talked to those guys... Um, who seem to be something, verse 6, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows no personal favoritism to any man. For those who seem to be something, they really didn't add a whole lot to me. If you think about it, the greatest teacher on the face of this earth, you can be taught by him or Jesus. Who would you rather sit under? That's what Paul's saying. Yeah, that's all he's saying. He said, they didn't really add a whole lot to me. Not that they couldn't add some things to him. But the point is, is he's saying, man, I'm being taught by the Lord. On the contrary, when they saw that the gospel, the good news for the uncircumcised, what do we know about the uncircumcised? The uncircumcised are typically, what? Gentiles, right. Good, Meredith. Gentiles, right? On the contrary, when they saw that the good news for the Gentiles or the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel of the circumcised was to Peter. When we hear circumcised, what do we think about? Juice, right? The gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. 
And when James, Cephas, John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So what are there, what's, what's he saying that their job was to go to? To the Jews, right? What was his job? To go to the Gentiles. Doesn't mean that they won't go to both. It just means that the, 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 the main emphasis of their ministry is going to be Paul to the Gentiles, Peter, James, and John to the Jews, right? They desired, when they heard, saw that that was the case, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which we, I was also eager to do. I'll have more to say about the poor. I believe they're talking about the poor that's in Jerusalem, and that's a whole other study, but we'll, we'll talk about that later on. But I know the Catholic Church, I'm not here to come down too hard on the Catholic Church, but, but I, I do want to say this. Placing, I, I, again, Paul's saying, don't put your eyes on a man. Don't put your eyes on a person. When, if, you're, if you're Catholic, I, I, please don't, don't just shut me off here. I want, you to, I want you to really, I mean, if you really want the truth, if you want to know the truth, seriously think about what I'm about to say. Because if you're so offended right now that you're going to shut me off and shut off my, what I'm about to say, you're not seeking truth. You're seeking tradition. And, and that, that's something that Jesus says, do not take the traditions of men and make them doctrines. Okay? Ask yourself this question. To the Catholic Church, Peter was the first pope. What's Peter's job? It's to go to the Jews. Does the Roman Catholics go to the Jews? No, they don't. They're reaching the Gentiles. They're trying to reach the Gentiles. That's the whole purpose. They're not carrying on Pope Peter, his, his passion, his, his heart to go. That's what his main number one emphasis is, is to go and to reach the Jews. In fact, it's actually been the contrary in very, very many cases where the Pope will come down on the Jews, not reaching to the Jews, but reaching to the Gentiles. I, I, just, I say that because... I would be remiss if I didn't at least point that out right here as we're passing through because we're not going to pass through this passage again as we move past, as we move on. But here's the thing. God has a plan and a purpose for you. Find it. Find the open door. Walk through it. Okay? Um, don't put your eyes on a man. Don't put your eyes on anyone other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because if your eyes gaze towards anyone else, you're going to be sorely mistaken. You're going to be sorely disappointed. And you will become very, very disillusioned in the faith. I have much more to say about disillusion in the faith, but that will come on as we move on through uh, Scripture. And so, um, would you pray with me? Father, we are all on our own journey. Some of us are in the Arabian desert. Some of us are in those interim areas of ministry. Some are maybe just got knocked down on the road to Damascus where you've just begun a work in our life. But Lord, I, I think that there's also a lot of us that Damascus was many, 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 many years ago. We're finding ourselves just going through the motions now. Looking back at life, did I live it for the fullest for you? When all is said and done, what really matters? What's the most important thing in life? God, help us, to, help us to meditate upon that. Every single one of us has got to come up with the answer to that. What is the most important reason for my being? Help us, Lord, to meditate upon that and guide us to the correct answer. And once you guide us to the correct answer, please take many of our hands and lead us to the cross where we can fall down on our faces before your cross and seek your forgiveness and seek your mercy that we've made it about something other than what the real purpose and design for my life was really all about but God don't keep us there don't keep us there in, in, in a, a place of depressed funk don't keep us in a place of, of regret where we look at our life and say I've wasted so much time help us to see it help us to acknowledge it but help us God most importantly, to move past it and recognize that your mercies are new every morning and that even as we end this 
Bible study today, every single one of us are going to open our eyes and get up out of our seats. And we're all going to have many open doors in front of us today. Not just to get out of this building, but spiritual open doors. Empower us, Lord. God, please, empower us to fulfill the purpose of our life with you in it, with you leading it, with you guiding it. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. Equip us. And God, give us the boldness to take a step through those doors that we have been so apprehensive to pass through. And then, Lord, be blessed. May we do this for your glory. May we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you through whatever doors you open before us. Whatever time on that chronological scale that we're on, may we give you glory in our actions, in our obedience to you. You desire obedience, not just sacrifice. May we be obedient to you, O Lord. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are listening to this message today and here or online, whatever. I pray, God, that you empower them. You blow their mind this week. I expect, Lord, if anybody takes this message seriously, that something radical is going to change in their life this week. May it be in every single one of us. God, I beg you, make it in every single one of us, please. Help us to see you in your fullness. Help us to experience you in your glory. Help us to live in you in your power from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.